Uh, welcome, Exponential Family, to this Nuts and Bolts webcast. All right, I'm Sean Cronin. I'm your host today, and as always, is with me is Patrick Bradley, my co-host. Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. Man, I love talking about just the practical nuts and bolts of, of church planning. Uh, some webcasts are about theory, which is great and important, and at some point, you got to figure out how to actually do the thing. So um, just looking forward to, to jumping in here and talking about building a launch team today. Yeah, I know that's a topic that a lot of church planners that we get to work with, you know, that's one of the questions is, how do I build a launch team? Like, you know, oftentimes they're, they're you know, filled with vision for, you know, this big church and, you know, what they're going to do and multiplying and, you know, but you got to start with people. But how do you find those people? You know, I've, I've been a part of one church that we got started and, you know, we luckily, I mean, unfortunately we could, we could say had a large kind of mother church that we kind of hived out from. And so we had a big launch team from the beginning, a core group of people, but we know that's not everybody's situation. There are some church planners that feel called to a city and they don't have those connections. They don't have a church that's sending them out. And so they've got to figure out how do I build a launch team from from scratch, basically. And so we've asked our friend um, and church planter, Michael Bartlett, to join the show today to share some insights that he has from his church planting journey about, about how do you do that. And so, Michael, we are thrilled that you have joined us today. Michael, how are you doing today? Great. Great to be here. Great to share. Um, hopefully I can <laughs> help out a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've heard you share with church planters multiple times about this topic. So I'm excited about what you'll be able to share with us today. And well, to just kind of get us started, let's get to know you a little bit, Michael. What's kind of who are you? Uh, what's a little bit of your story and your background with, with church planting? Yeah. So my name is Michael Bartlett. I'm the lead pastor of Collective Church in Frederick, Maryland. Frederick is um, we wouldn't we wouldn't call it a suburb of DC and Baltimore, but it's kind of a suburb of DC and Baltimore. So you've got DC, you've got Baltimore, you drive 40 minutes either direction, and then you hit us. And so Frederick is um, this up and coming city. It's uh, more affordable than the major cities. Um, so three, just a little bit over three years ago, uh, my wife and I moved here to plan a church, and um, we launched September 17th of 2017. Um, just like probably everybody watching today, COVID impacted us in a big way, but you actually can kind of see, like I'm actually uh, not just in a space, we're in our own building. Um, God has blessed us as a church and we started growing pretty rapidly. And um, we started a capital campaign in November of 2019 because uh, we thought that God was saying, hey, this, this middle school doesn't work anymore. And um, we did a capital campaign through COVID. And uh, we actually just opened the building three weeks ago for our first public services. And so after a year of, of being online, and so it's just been incredible. Um, for me personally, uh, my story goes back to when I was in middle school, really. Um, I didn't grow up going to church. It wasn't something that my family was interested in. We didn't really feel like anything was missing from our lives. And we had some new neighbors move in across the street. And they invited us to church and kept inviting us. And we kept saying no or just kind of awkwardly having conversations about it. Um, come to find out, he was the worship minister at a new church plant um, called New Life Christian Church in Chantilly, Virginia. And uh, eventually we showed up and was like, this isn't what we thought church would be like. Uh, the people were wonderful. They treated us well. The band was loud and they played um, I think it was like the first Sunday we were there. One of the first ones they played George Thurgood's bad to the bone. And you know, this was mid nineties. Like we're like, Oh, we're kind of hooked on that. So that's good. 
um, started getting plugged in and really started to understand church just from the church planning perspective. I'd never been in a church building before if it wasn't for a funeral. So um, a few years in, uh, my whole family at different times uh, put their faith in Jesus. We're all baptized in that church. Um, again, they're portable. So it wasn't actually physically in the church. I was baptized in a Creek and my brother and sister were baptized in a pool in another neighborhood. And, um, so for me, like all of my Jesus life had been in a church plant and, um, I thought it was normal. Like I just thought churches were portable. I, I mean, I'd seen church buildings before, but I just felt like that's like a whole different, like way to level up. Like you get this giant building and you have a huge cross out front. And so, um, got more involved, started serving, started leading in the youth group. And when I graduated high school, I was like kind of half in half out, like, Hey, I'll do the Jesus thing, but I don't want to do the ministry thing. Like, that's not what I feel called to do. Um, so I took a little bit of time to kind of wrestle with that and really God shut a bunch of doors that, um, I wasn't ready for, um, eventually ended up deciding to go to Milligan college down in Johnson city, Tennessee. And I did that so I could be like a marketing major, but also like involved in church. I just, I felt like that was what, what was best. And um, the first Sunday I was there, I went to a church that met in a building and um, I remember walking in and I did not fit in. Um, at that time I was 19. I had one tattoo already. I have many, many more now, um, but I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt and I didn't know that you wore Sunday best to this church. Like I'd always worn a t-shirt to church or a Jersey or something. Um, and then worship hit and everybody pulls out these books. They start singing these songs. And I'm like, I don't know how to sing songs from the Bible. Um, I'd never seen a hymnal before in my life. And instead of walking away feeling like, Oh, this is cool. I walked away feeling to be honest, shame. Um, Cause I felt like my childhood church wasn't right. Like something was wrong with it. Um, and I felt to be honest, just dumb. And I went back and sat down with my roommate and I'd known him for a few years. And I was like, man, I, I went to church and I just don't get it. Like, I just feel like I don't know Jesus the way these people know Jesus. I feel like I don't know church the way these people know church. And, and I remember he sat me down and he looked at me he, and this is an 18 year old kid. And he goes, yeah, man, you're one of the lucky ones. Uh, you go to a good church. And I never understood how profound that statement was until years and years and years later that I grew up in a church that was so focused on families like mine that I hadn't seen anything else. I hadn't seen the drama. I hadn't seen any of that. I just saw people sacrificing their time and their money and their lives so that lost people like me can be found. And so <laughs> we're in the building. There's a little bit of work going on. Um, so uh, that was the moment where I realized like, hey, it's not, it's not just doing church. Like God's calling me to plan a church. And then specifically God's calling me to come back home um, and plant a church uh, just outside of where I grew up because none of my friends went to church and none of their parents went to church and none of the kids they're raising right now go to church. And so felt this really strong, unavoidable call um, kind of feels a little bit like destiny. Um, so I feel like I'm really lucky. Like I grew up in a church plant. I've worked in church plants, plants. I started a church. So like, I get this um, getting into a building I don't understand that. Like I've already locked myself out a few times. So I'm like, I don't know what to do with keys. I'm just used to a movie theater opening up or a middle school opening up. Um, but that, that's kind of what got me here. Just realizing like my family trajectory is completely different because of a church plant. Like I'm raising my two daughters to know Jesus 
And that's so different than what my parents originally set out to do, right? They, they got us there. Um, but our life is just on a completely different train track than what it used to be. And so I feel that burden to then do that for other people. And so that's kind of what got me into church planning and collective in Frederick. Yeah. Thanks, Michael, for sharing that story. I know for me, I'm one of those raised in church kids. And so going to church, it was all kind of normal. Um, and I never really had the perspective of, you know, what would this be like if, if this was foreign, if this was a different language, if this was a different culture, like this is my culture. And so it's normal, but um, you know, it's interesting to have your perspective or like our friend, Vince Antonucci, who had a very, very similar, you know, kind of experience with church when he first came to it and was like, this is weird. I need to start a church that will be able to reach people like me. And so that will, that's what you've set out to do. And you, you said you've done it in Frederick, Maryland. You, and you said, how long have you lived in Frederick? So we actually moved here just a little bit over a year before we launched. So in fact, I think to be honest, it's probably, <laughs> um, I have a six year old, almost six year old. We moved when she was just about turn one. So we've actually been here for five years. Um, so we took about an 18 months pre-launch before starting collective. And that's something when I help church planners now, I always tell them, man, like nine months is good, but if you can get 12, 13, 14 months in your city, um, that, that kind of gave me the upper hand that like, when we started collective, I knew what this, this city was longing for. Um, also we knew where to serve. We didn't have to figure that out after we already launched. So, um, so yeah, it was about 18 months before, before we launched. So, you know, we've been here for five, but collective turned three in September. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know you had, you had been in the city for a while before launching and, you know, spending that time getting to know the city, you know, spending a lot of time in prayer. Um, you know, I know like we, we talked about, um, you know, nine months, sometimes nine months is the uh, average time that we will work with a church planner in the pre-launch phase and helping them get systems and processes set up for this new church. And, you know, at Passion for Planning, we know, yes, that there are certain things that we can do, you know, systems we can set up, things that we can do that will help start a church. But we also know that, well, our, our lead, lead pastor, planter of, of New Life Christian Church says that in order for a church to be really kind of healthy, it's got to run on two tracks. You know, the one track being kind of our efforts and what we're doing with systems and processes and marketing and building a launch team. Um, but then there's a whole other track of, hey, this is only based through God. This is all God's power. So we need to spend time in prayer and seeking where he's moving and kind of align ourselves to position ourselves to kind of catch the wave that that he's already um, doing and he's already at work. Um, and, I, and I think part of that, you know, aligning ourselves with that is, is um, you know, seeking his face and understanding, okay, so what do we have to do um, to be able to build a launch team? You know, who are the people that God's already put in our city and he might already be working in their lives in some way um, so that they can partner with us in this great endeavor in our city. Uh, so can you tell us, um, you know, when you moved to Frederick, just give us a little more background. Like when you moved to Frederick, like how many people did you know in that city? We didn't, we didn't know anyone. Um, you know, when you plan a church, there's always rumors of people that you might know, or like, you'll just meet someone in passing and be like, oh yeah, my uncle lives in Frederick, you know? So we had heard a decent amount of like, I know someone that knows someone. Um, but ultimately when we got here, we moved and it was like the first person we met was our neighbor. And we're like, there's one, we know one person who, who lives in Frederick now. Um, you know, it was, we, we ended up, we actually did have a few people move with us. So like within the first few months, like we're like, all right, we've got two other families that are with us here. 
But yeah, we were completely strangers. The benefit was growing up in kind of this general vicinity. I at least understood the culture. Um, growing up in Northern Virginia, Frederick culture is very similar. So it wasn't a culture shock. It was just a, hey, we don't we don't know anyone. We don't, the closest supporting church for us is over 45 minutes away. So the chances of them knowing people is really low and we were just complete uh, newbies in this, in this really cool city. What did your prayers sound like in those early days? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Good. I'm an introvert. So it was God, please, please, please help me bump into people because I am not uh, I go out of my way. I sit at Starbucks, used to sit at Starbucks and write sermons, but I didn't do that to like meet a bunch of people. I did that because we didn't have an office. Um, so a lot of our prayer was help us make friends, um, and, and help us connect with people. And, um, what's funny is like it happens. And before we even officially called ourselves collective, there were people who are like, Hey, I heard this rumor. Uh, one of my favorite stories, we're in a coffee shop. I'm wearing a t-shirt that says revolution church on revolution Annapolis, which is a church I used to work in, which is easily an hour, 15 hour and a half away from us. I'm in this coffee shop and this barista goes, Oh, did you hear revolution starting a church in Frederick? And I went, Oh, that's awesome. And then I went and sat down and I was like, Oh my gosh. And I went back up and I was like, that's us. Like we're starting that church. (laughs) And the girl's name is Emily. And she was one of our first baptisms. Um, So the thing is a lot of the prayer was like, God, like my personality is I'll sit in my house all day long and work. I'm, I'm a process guy. Like I eat up passion for planting. Love it. Give me all the nine month strategies. Um, so a lot of the prayers for God, like this has to be divine. And it was like, there's no way I'm going and meeting these people. If God's not creating these opportunities and really like the only thing I needed to bring to the table was just a willingness right? I'm going to work at a local coffee shop today, even though I don't even really like coffee. And then we bump into this girl. She ends up coming to collective. She invites her friend. We baptize both of them, um, you know, within the first year. So it's, it's stuff like that, where it's just like, okay, God, like open hands, give me whatever you're going to give me. And I'm, and I'm willing. And so most of our prayers were, all right, God, like make weird acquaintances happen. And God's very, very, very good at that. Nice. So, Michael, uh, well, first, if you're just joining us, I want to welcome you to this webcast. we got Michael Bartlett on. We're talking about developing a launch team, building a launch team from scratch. Um, and, and anyone, if you have questions along the way, please feel free to put those in the chat, and we would love to be able to answer any questions that you have. Um, Michael, so Michael just shared that when they moved to their city, Frederick, Maryland, they didn't know anybody in the city. And so they've got to build this launch team from scratch. You know, sometimes church plants, you hear about it, you know, they get all these people from a, maybe a mother church or maybe a church closes. And so they get this launch team. Michael, you didn't have the luxury to do it, but so you're, you're getting to know people and you know, okay, we need people to be on our team um, in order to have this healthy launch, the launch that God's given us this vision for. Um, so by the time that you were kind of getting ready to, you know, open up, have, have a grand opening, how big was your team at that point going from zero to what? Yeah. So when we launched, we were 58 adults and 18 kids on the team. Um, and we also had lost people along the way. So there are moments when we were a little bit higher than that. Um, but opening day, opening Sunday, we had 58 adults and 18 kids. Wow. So yeah, you know that number. I guess you were tracking it along the way. Yes. You, 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 <laughs> yeah. you count people. I tell you, you count people because people count. Um, and uh, you know, you know, being able to keep track of all those people. Um, number one, you're able to pray for them. You know, you know them by name. 
um, and, uh, you know, be able to find a good place for them to be able to serve and, um, on this launch team. But my question is Michael. So what were some things that you did if you didn't know anybody and then you got, you get to 58 adults and kids, what were some things that you did as a church to be able to build this launch to meet people and get them onto the team? Yeah. Um, we, we built a pretty good plan. Um, so like I said earlier, I'm a planner, so I own like a 12 month calendar. Um, and so before we launched, I rolled that whole thing out. I was like, this is our launch day. Here's all the big days in between. Here's what our city's doing. How do we integrate these things well? And so um, it actually started with small groups. So the first thing we ever did a year out was we started a small group. There were 12 of us. Uh, in fact, Emily and Meg, who we met at the coffee shop came um, and we read through the beginning of the book of Acts. Cause I was like, man, how do I cast a vision for a church plant? Acts two. And whenever ever I talk to church planners, I say, if you want to learn how to grow a team, it's Acts two. It'll tell you what you need to do. You need to pray. You need to take communion together. You need to eat together. You need to serve together. Um, I always make sure to point out that uh, it says the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved, because that means non-Christians were present. It doesn't happen if people who don't follow Jesus are around. So we started with a small group and we read through Acts. I was like, this is the best vision that I can cast for a church plant. Um, and then, then that led to Christmas and we did like a small Christmas Eve service, um, which actually Sean was at, which is really cool. I invited everybody I knew within like an hour and a half. And I was like, please show up. Um, and we met new people. It was weird. You know, it was December 22nd and, uh, people were like, yeah, let me, let me check out this church thing. So we did a small Christmas service and then, um, we did a lot of vision nights um, and so what we did there is we, we went to a local business and said, Hey, can you put 40 people in this small room back here? And, you know, we, it was local. So we bought pizza for everybody and we just shared, Hey, here's what God has called us to do. And, and this is what collective hopefully will look like. And, um, vision nights, worship nights, you know, a lot of times, um, I heard, uh, in the beginning, don't do worship nights. Cause that only attracts people that, um, that, that know Jesus. And I understood that tension, but at the same time where we live, there are a lot of people moving out to this city every single day. And so while we, we did meet a decent amount of people who were okay with church, the idea of church at our worship nights, they're all people who didn't have a church home. It wasn't, it wasn't church hoppers. Um, in fact, that anybody that was hopping in church, we told them, you have to tell your church that you're hopping before you can come be a part of this team because we didn't want to create any tension. Uh, we served the community a lot. The best thing we ever did was we joined in um, what's called the Frederick Rescue Mission 10-miler. Um, we told them we'd bring 25 volunteers. We didn't know 25 people. Uh, we somehow managed to scrounge up 25, and we met a bunch of people that day. And five of those people came to our next worship night. And um, you know, a little bit further down the road, the spouse of one of them is now like one of my staff members. And so the biggest thing was like we just tried to make sure it was like there was something planned and not over, not over like structured, but we did the race. And if we met people at the race, it was like, what are we inviting them to? Well, we've got a worship night coming up. Hey, come to this worship night. It'll be, you can hear me talk. Cause the weird thing about church plants is like all these people like serve in the community. And then all of a sudden like opening day comes and you hear the preacher and they're like, no. So we did a lot in the beginning to where I was like, Hey, I'm going to do some preaching. So you can decide whether or not like you want to listen to me every Sunday. And that way you don't love us just because we serve the community and then realize, oh man, I really don't like their worship or I don't like their preaching. So we just try to do a good mix. Um, Realistically, it was, we developed a strategy, which was collective worship, Sunday mornings, 
collective community groups and collective engagement, which is serving. And we just tried to kind of ebb and flow through that for the whole time. And while that's happening, you know, while we're doing these events, every single thing we did, we'd say, Hey, if you're, if you want to be a part of this team, we'd love for you to officially join. We love that you're here, but if you want to start helping us make this happen, like join join the launch team. And we created opportunities for that at everything because, you know, people come along at different, different phases. Um, it's just like church. Sometimes people hear one sermon and they're like, okay, I'm getting baptized. Sometimes people go to your church for five years and they slowly work their way through it. Joining the team and launch team development, it's the same thing. So create enough stuff that people can ebb and flow, create enough stuff where personalities that are introverts and extroverts can, can both find a sweet spot, create an opportunity where you serve, where non-Christians most likely will show up, but also things that kind of feed the soul of people, which is worship and communion and all that. And so we just did those things. And then eventually that led to summer. Um, we did four preview services, um, which are essentially just practices and because we need to learn how to set up and tear down, but you can invite. So it wasn't public. It was, if you bring your friends, they can come. And so we're training our people in the beginning. Hey, like it's now that you're on the team, start thinking about who you need to invite. And so um, we just tried really hard to create a very intentional um, nine plus months of community and serving and worship and have them slowly flow into each other. All the while at telling people and challenging people, hey, do you want to join this team? Do you want to be a part of what we're doing? You know, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're trying to launch this date. This is what this means. We want you to join a team you know, and actually cert, not just a, the launch team, like a team on Sunday morning. So we had like certain vision nights where we talked about, these are the teams that collective that you can be a part of, um, you know, cause such a big piece of launch team development is everybody's different and you, you who, who's launching or, or part of a team, like you're going to want to go in your lane only. So for me, it was like, well, I, Sunday morning is my lane. So if it was just me, I would just do worship things, right? I would just do preaching things. But I also realized there are a lot of people who that's not their jam, but serving is. So creating space for that. So really a big piece of it is start trying to find the identity of your church and start trying to create some sort of rhythm through, you know, the nine months, whatever it may be, as you lead up to launch, all the while getting clarity of like, hey, like, do you want to be a part of this, like officially official? Hey, Michael, we got a question from the audience. Uh, somebody wants to know what kind of social events did you uh, put together prior to the grand opening launch Sunday? Yeah, we, I would say collective is very social, which is weird because that is not me. Um, we party well. Um, a lot of the things that we did were based on the city. So we've got this beautiful park in the middle called Baker Park and you can get these pavilions and there's grills. And so we're like, let's do a barbecue. And like it's old school church style potluck, right? Which is not the vibe of our church, but we couldn't afford to get food for everybody. And so people, what they do in the summer is they, they go to Baker Park, people do their birthday parties there, like all that stuff. Like we, you know, every summer we have a friend who's their kid's birthday party is always at Baker Park. So we're like, let's rent Baker Park on a Wednesday night. Um, we got a local minor league baseball team. Hey, come to them. Let's all grab a, a section in the a stands. You know, there's 2000 fans there. We're 50 of them. Um, a lot of breweries downtown. So we had a lot of like happy hours where it was like, Hey, let's meet at this brewery. They've got food trucks. Um, Cause honestly, that's something that if like, if, if you're cool with drinking and have friends who don't know Jesus, they're probably going to show up at a brewery before they're going to show up at like a church event. So we did a lot of like, what does our city do really well? Let's lean into that. You know, the city does a thing called first Saturday, which it's a way for small businesses to get some, some time and attention and love. 
And so I was like, let's, let's do first Saturday together, you know? So a lot of it was just driven on our city. Um, you know, I would encourage you, depending on where you live, if, you know, Frederick has a lot going on. If you live in a place that has less going on, try to, try to figure out like the DNA of, of where you live and lean into that. Um, you know, a lot of times I think churches try to do the complete opposite of, of what, you know, culture is doing. Um, but there's a, there's a good balance in between, you know, where uh, we, we saw our city, we saw what our city needed, we saw what people love about our city. And it was like, hey, where can we be a part of this? But then also show that we're different, you know? So it's like, hey, we're a part of this community, but also we stand out because of the way we treat other people, the way we serve and, and all that. And so, um, and then the other thing too is small groups are going to be your, your best place for socializing. So as much as we read the book of Acts, every single night was dinner first. Um, and we did theme nights and people still go back four years ago. And they're like, remember when we did deep fried food night? And I was like, yes, it was disgusting, but it's still a story that people tell because we had two like big fryers. And it was like, if you bring it, we'll fry it. And there were like 30 people in a backyard frying any piece of food that they could find. So a lot of it too is lean into your small groups. And I would just encourage you, this is my perspective, focus on them as more social and community driven um, then like the Bible study portion, allow that to be a piece of it. Um, but the safer that people feel, the more they're going to invite. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you need to, and it's like, Hey, let's dig into this topic. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great question about social events. I know it's, it's, it's something that you can do to attract people. Um, but I know church planters have oftentimes found also though, like what you win people with is what you win them to. And so if it's just always social events, you're kind of building culture of, hey, we're just a church that likes to get together and have fun together. And then when you try to serve your community, when you try to, you know, really be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, you know, people are like, what? What is that all about? I just, I'm just here to have fun. Um, and so you have to have that balance of, hey, you know, we want to have fellowship, but we also want to be on mission together um, and serving our city. And so can you share, like, can you share, you know, you've shared a few examples, but can you share a couple other examples of ways that you served your city in the pre-launch yeah. phase um, and, and partnered with organizations to do it, not starting from scratch, but partnering with other organizations to do it? Yeah, so um, I am a big fan of not reinventing the wheel. Um, you know, most cities have food pantries. Most cities have recovery centers. Most, most cities have those. And so for us, it was like, we're not going to start these things. We're going to join in. So we, we kind of did both. Some things that were just straight up, hey, you're doing this race, we'll bring 25 people. But other things where there's food insecurity issues, how do we meet those needs? And so um, two of the big things that we did during our pre-launch phase were one, we called the food pantry restock, um, which we literally printed out like 5,000 door hangers and bought reusable plastic bags and put door hangers and bags on just under 5,000 doors around our city um, some strategy with that is we also did mailers. So we put door hangers on the doors that also would get mailers in the future. Right. So we're not sending mailers to one community and doors. It's like, Hey, you can't kind of avoid us. Like we're here. And so one week we dropped them. And then the week we came back and collected food. Um, and we did that. Uh, it, it took a very long time. It's very poorly run <laughs> on my part. Um, but we collected 8,000 pounds of food that weekend and about 45 people joined us and people um, who were not interested in church or Jesus, but understood 
that kids had needs in our city because um, we donated into a local organization that fed food insecure kids. They were like, I'm about this, you know, or even a bunch of them were teachers. And um, so that was one of the things we still do it. We actually did it last year during COVID, but we did it virtually. And so we called it the virtual food pantry restock. And we sent out instructions on how to send um, like an Instacart to a select location and people all day long, like all these Instacart drivers are like, what is happening? And we're like, it's a food pantry restock, but people can't be here. Um, you know, and we didn't collect 8,000 pounds of food, but we still collect like 3000 pounds of food that people like literally Instacarted to us. So that culture has continued. Um, you know, you talk about the social stuff too. We also chose events where people could be social during them. So we broke up into three neighborhoods, but we team, we put teams together and we strategically put leaders with each team. So, you know, my best, my most outgoing person is with the new people and they're walking these neighborhoods together and two hours of walking a neighborhood you rarely ever get two hours of time to talk about church and Jesus with anybody. And it was like a perfect combination. I've got two hours to talk with this person about church, Jesus, church planting, Frederick, whatever it may be, but we're also accomplishing something. Um, so we did that. We also did an event called Generosity Feeds, which is where you package meals. Um, so we packaged 10,000 meals and delivered them to the local community. Um, that was a great event for us because, uh, one, it, it cost money and we didn't have it. So we actually got local businesses to help us. And it was just, a, an, again, another way for us to get our name out there that created positive feelings and positive feedback and positive emotions. And, you know, we had 250 people come out to Generosity Feeds before we ever launched our church. We did a pre-launch, which was insane. Um, but a month before we had 250 people that pulled into our parking lot and walked into the gym and we got to share, Hey, a month from now, there's a church here. And, and we've met people for the past three years that went to that event. And eventually, you know, we're like, I'm not interested in Jesus, but this is a good thing and, and came to that. So we, we found the needs in our city, food insecurity, um, you know, addiction recovery. And we we're like, okay, we're going to do everything we can to support those two things and create fun events and big events and small events and all these things that kind of weave in and out of, of both of those things. Yeah. And I know with, uh, you know, especially when you're starting, you have a small team. And so you're thinking we can't create these events ourselves, but we can partner with organizations that already started and maybe need a few volunteers. Can you tear like their partnership with downtown Frederick, um, and, and what you've done with them to be able to meet more people and serve your community. Yeah. So um, like I said, downtown Frederick does so much and my family and I, we love doing it. Like we love walking downtown and, and being a part of um, Mayday, which is the, it's, it's an art driven Saturday where there's like artists come out and they paint, they do chalk on the street and, and all this stuff or the dog days of summer, which is um, literally bring your dog downtown. Um, so we love doing that. And, but when we first moved here, we realized there are no churches participating in this. And so immediately we're like, okay, so we, we reached out to the person in charge of the events and said, Hey, we want to be a part of this. Um, because most of the organizations that are serving your city, they always need help always. And the feedback we got, we kept getting from the Frederick rescue mission, downtown Frederick partnership, blessings in a backpack was always, Hey, we're skeptical to work, work with churches because they overpromise and under, under deliver always. And yeah, which, I mean, that's a sad reputation for churches, but like you hear that and you're like, yeah, I kind of get that. I've worked at that church before, you know, we're going to do this many meals and we don't hit that number or we're going to do it on this day and we don't hit that date. So for us, it was, okay, we're going to, we're going to under promise and we're always going to over deliver. And so we're like, what do you need? And like, we have nothing for kids. Like, fine, let's do rock painting. So there's this thing called Frederick rocks. So we set up a station, we paid for the rocks, we paid for the paint and you could sit and do it. 
And the thing is they had to sit with us. It's not a koozie that they take with them. It's not a Frisbee that they walk away. It's this kid and their parent is standing right next to us when they're painting these rocks and we're, you know, putting a little paper with their name on it and saying, Hey, come back in 30 minutes and it'll be dry. And then they would go and place these all over the city. And so we, we started doing stuff like that. And we realized that these events, we are the only church. And so then we felt more pressure to make it better. So we went from rocks to the next thing we did was face painting. Um, and we got like legit face painters, not bad face painters. Cause again, we're representing the church. We're, we're representing Jesus. Um, and we would do face painting and people ate it up. And then we, we developed, uh, this is my favorite idea. We have like a magnet. That's the skyline of our city and kids can come up and with a Sharpie color that in and then take it home with them. And so it's their depiction their, the way they see Frederick. And at the very bottom, this is my collective dot church. Right. So we just wanted to say, Hey, we're going to be involved in this city. We're going to fill this need, which is not a lot of kid things. And we're going to do it in the best way we know how we actually bought a Papa shot once, which is like the basketball hoops. We brought that downtown and we're like, Hey, uh, find somebody compete against them. Whoever wins gets to choose what local nonprofit that we donate to. And we had 500, 600 people come and play Papa shot with it. It's $140 to buy that thing. In fact, it broke. And so it got to certain day. So we ended up returning it and targets like, yeah, they don't really last very long. I'm like, okay. Um, but the thing is like, there are needs in your city. The main thing is as you present yourself as a church, most cities, depending on where they're at with Jesus, where they're at with church, they're not interested. And that's, that's our fault. Like we take responsibility, Christians take responsibility for that. So it was just like a slow and steady of just us proving time and time again, we're here, we care for you. We're showing up on time. We're cleaning up our mess. When we leave, we're investing in this project. We're sharing it on social media, not just about us. Like we're sharing about these cool things. And eventually over time, we've built these relationships where, you know, we're lucky. We, we're, the, we're still the only church that does stuff. Um, we do this face painting thing every year. They do a movie night. And there's five sponsors and each sponsor pays $5,000 to be a part of it. We pay $0, but collective's name is right up there with everybody else. Because for three or four years, we've just slowly dug those ditches to say, Hey, we're going to be here and we're going to serve and it's going to be good. And, and this is incentive for people to come to these events is what we're adding to the table. So um, we're really proud of that. I actually have a staff member now that oversees all that stuff because it's such a core of who we are that I realized like, half of our brain can't really get there. So we have a full-time staff firm that oversees our relationships with these organizations and, and how we kind of uh, take care of them. Hey, Michael, we got some great uh, questions from the audience pouring in. Uh, if I can lean into that. Uh, the first one is um, asking about uh, leadership within the, within the launch team. So by launch Sunday, you had 58 adults. Um, like the practical decisions and leadership of that, was that like everybody... Is that spread across the 58? Did you have like a smaller team of like key volunteer leaders? D tell me about um, developing yeah. leaders and what that, what did that look like? Um, for us, it was like pure failure. Um, so this is a really good question because I can tell you all the good things we did. This is one of the things that we did not do well. So um, we had uh, I, another full-time staff member came up with me and he raised his full-time salary um, and he was a guy that honestly could have planted a church. So a lot of my decision-making was me and him. Um, there's a, there was a high level of trust between us. And so we didn't really develop a ton of leaders. You know, we had, he ran production and worship. We had another couple that moved with us that ran our, what we call our connections team. And then I had a part-time kids director and I was like, yeah, I mean, that's it. Every area is covered. Um, the mistake in that was eight weeks in the worship pastor resigned. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, 
it's just me, like me and a part-time person. And, and the part-time person had never done ministry before. Um, and so we, we very quickly pivoted and we actually shut everything down. We got through Christmas and shut everything down in January. And we started developing leaders, um, not just for groups, but for Sunday morning. So the way we do it now, which is the fruitfulness of really poor decision-making on the front end for me is, you know, I've got my staff member and then on Sunday mornings, they've got their team leaders. And so we developed a team leader for every Sunday and they help run, run whatever environment they're in. Um, so we invested heavily in that. Now, with that being said, um, in order to find those leaders, because that's like the most important part, because anybody can be thrown into a leadership role. The right people is what's important. So for us, you cannot be a leader at Collective unless you give and you, you're in a group and you serve on Sunday, right? Those are three things. And so there are wonderful people who go to our church that are very generous, but they're not serving. It's like, well, you can't lead other people to something that you're not doing, Right. Um, so what I always tell people now, like in the wake of, of the destruction that, that caused with that leadership mistake was, Hey, in the beginning, as you start small groups, immediately start identifying people who you can hand those small groups off to, but make sure there's standards, right? Just because they're there does not mean they should be leading other people, especially in the beginning, because people do try to hijack vision. I got stories about that for days. And so if you've got the right people who understand the vision, who are giving, pre-launch, if they're giving, you know, if they're serving, those are the people that you slowly start to hand things to. Um, because when you get to Sunday morning, you cannot lead everything. So you just got to trust people. So build that trust ahead of time, but just make sure you have some standards in doing that. I've met a lot of church planners that are like, Hey, this person served in this church for 10 years and they're here and they love it. And then, you know, a month in this person's like, I don't want to do it this way. You know, so that, that's why it's so important about, about vision, but develop leaders early. Um, small groups are the best place to do that. Uh, because you can be in the small group and you can help coach them along versus Sunday morning, which is I cannot be back in kids on Sunday morning. And so I've just got to trust that she's doing it right. And um, so we, we, we've corrected that problem. And Michael, um, so, you know, going back to really just thinking about as you're building your launch team, um, you know, I see some church planters, they'll, they'll talk about having events and people will show up. And so they think, Hey, our, our launch team must be, you know, 50 people. Cause usually we get about 50 people that come to these things. And then, um, you know, they, they do something, whether it's launch, have grand opening, do something else, and not everybody shows up. And they realize, oh, maybe everybody who was showing up wasn't exactly committed. Maybe they weren't really on our launch team. Um, what were, so my question is, what expectations did you have for people to go from basically just being part of like kind of like a crowd, you know, to actually being on the launch team? Yeah. What expectations did you have? And then, you know, what did you do so people could be like, I'm in? How do they, how do they yeah. sign up and make that commitment? Yeah. So, uh, when COVID first started, if you guys remember like online attendance was through the roof and everyone's like, our churches are growing. They weren't growing. Right. They were just people that were watching what you were doing. And realistically there were churches, you know, our service was at nine 30. So we had a bump in attendance. I'm like, Oh, it's all these new people. And it's not, it's just a supporting church down the road that didn't have online yet. You know? So pre-launch is the same way you get people there and you're like, look how big we are. But really it's just people that are like, Hey, I'm just checking this out. Or I accidentally ended up, <laughs> you know, in this event that you're doing. Um, so one of the things that we talk about is clarity, right? Brene Brown says clear is kind. And that's not just kind for people. It's kind for you. So we always sought out clarity. Um, so it was, Hey, if you're going to be a part of this team, we want you to commit to being a part of this team. And what we did is we didn't do any sort of like covenant or anything like that. Um, we actually just had them sign their name 
on blocks and actually have one. I just, we we just dug them out the other day and we'd say, Hey, when you're ready to commit to being part of this team, why don't you sign this block? We had a wall with all the blocks on it. And we just kind of like took this thing with us wherever we went, but that was the difference between, Hey, I'm attending and I'm committing. Right. And that was also the difference between like, I'm part of this and I don't know who else is a part of this. Oh, this whole wall, you know, these 50 blocks, these, these, these are the people that are, that are with me versus these are the people who are still checking it out. And so the first thing is just get clarity. Um, you know, ask people, Hey, like, do you want to be in? Like, is this something you want to be a part of? Cause I'd love to see this from you again, clarity, get them to the next step. Um, the other thing would be expectations. So we set our expectations on, Hey, if you're part of the team, you're giving, you're in a group and you're going to join a team. And what I'll tell you is from my own experience, that was too much. And if I had to do this again, which I won't, um, but if I had to do this again, um, I actually would set the bar lower. Because of the 58 people, probably 20 of them were not followers of Jesus. They have no idea why they're giving. They have no idea why they're serving. And all that does is create tension, right? Because you're trying to hold them to a standard that you're holding everybody to. And that's unhealthy. The other piece of it is you don't have enough small groups to fit everybody's needs. Like you don't have all the things that you need to where everybody can serve on a team. You know, what if they work on Sunday? Okay, can't be on the team. That doesn't make sense. Right. But in portable in church playing, you don't have a lot of room for Monday through Saturday team stuff. You know, we get into a building, people are here all day long doing stuff. So part of it is if I had to do this again, my standard would be being a part of the team means you serve on Sunday mornings. That's it. The rest of it is a spiritual discipline really that you need to work through that my job as a pastor is to lead them to. Um, So that's what we do now. Like we don't do membership. If you're a part of the team, if you serve, in other words, if you create space for other people to experience Jesus versus a group, which really is for me, some other leaders pouring into me, you know, giving is the thing that nobody really wants to talk about, but serving is different. And so we had standards, to be honest, they were, they were too high. Um, the first year of a collective was me emailing, calling, saying, I'm going, Hey, on the team, why aren't you going to a group? Hey, you're on the team. I noticed you're not giving, Hey, you're on the team. Why aren't you serving on Sunday? And after doing that for a year, I was like, this is dumb. Like, this is not what God asked me to do with my time. There's 200 people coming on Sunday morning and I'm chasing down these 10 who committed to a standard that I set, right? Not, Jesus didn't say, this is how, like, these are three things for a long, I created those standards. And yet I'm now not being able to focus on lost people because I'm chasing down these people who can't go to a group because we had three of them and they weren't during times when they could be there or giving is something they've never done. And they don't follow Jesus and they're trying to figure that out. So, um, so I would say set standards, but also be very aware of who you're trying to reach. You know, we very clearly, we're called a church for the rest of us. So from the beginning, I should have created that standard for the rest of us. And then the people who elevate above that, those are the people that you put into leadership, right? Um, we go by the, we, we say this all the time at Collective, parable of the talents. Those who can be trusted with a little get trusted with a lot. Right. So the people at collective that are leaders are people who we've asked, here's this little bit, serve every other week. And they're the ones who then excel in that, develop new leaders, develop new people, invite new people. Those are the people you want to keep raising up higher and higher and higher because they've taken this much and they've turned it into this much. And I would say that that's true for, for pre-launch as well. Set a good standard that everybody can reach. And the people who rise above that, that's when you start to, the wheel start turning of like, maybe this person can be a leader because they're going above and beyond my expectations. And really they're, they're kind of fulfilling the expectations of what scripture puts on them um, on their own, right? That shows good spiritual disciplines that goes, that shows good spiritual maturity. And let's circle back to inviting people to the launch team. 
I love that idea with the blocks and all of that. A question from the audience is uh, uh, kind of about ratios. It's like, how many people did you need to invite to join the launch team to get to 58? Surely not 100% said yes. No, it definitely wasn't. Um, so, sorry, if you can hear a song in the background, we're doing plumbing. Um, so, we, so, I had a spreadsheet. And on every time we met someone and anytime they filled out like a connection card, I put them on the spreadsheet and um, I should have dug into this. <laughs> I've, I've, it's somewhere in my Google drive. Um, that list by the time we launched probably had 300 names on it. And those were all the people that we had met that had, had identified, had filled out, out a connection card, right? It wasn't like Instagram likes. It wasn't anything like that. Um, and we walked away probably after having 300 people, take a step, right? By filling out a connection card, not just show up of the 358. We're like, Hey, I want to be a part of this. And so what I would say is like, it's, and, and I don't want, want people to think that means do the biggest events and meet as many people as possible. It, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that um, you'll never hit the number that you need to hit by staying inside your comfort zone, your neighborhood, your group, your rhythms. You have to break out of those. You've got to put yourself in other places to meet other people um, because the more people you meet, the more conversations you have, the more likely they are to become a part of this. Um, but if you only kind of stay in your spot, like this is my Starbucks and this is where I go to the party, like you got to break out of those habits in order to meet people. Um, you got to serve sometimes, you got to worship sometimes, you got to do different things to meet different people. And that will lead to a growing team. If you only do, and Sean said this early, if you only serve, you win people too, which you win, win them with. If you only serve, you'll only get people who grew up with that kind of personality. You know, that wasn't my childhood, right? Like that, you know, we didn't go out on weekends and serve, like we played sports. So, you know, if I'm only doing service events, we're all, you're only going to meet people who really like feel inclined to do that. So that, that's, that's why, again, you, you got to do some social stuff and some community stuff and some worship stuff and big and small and kind of keep that flow going. But really, you just got to keep breaking out of your own comfort zone um, in order to meet other people. Uh, and, and eventually, with clarity, um, they join. But you, you definitely, um, and I've never really thought about like ratios, Patrick, like I, I would, I'm a numbers guy, so it makes me want to look back um, at like what events um led to what and what, what led to invitation. But ultimately, like the more opportunities you get to meet people, um, the more likely your team is to grow. Nice. And, and so Sick. I would say, um, you know, another question from the audience um, is, hey, can you break down kind of the, the ministry rhythm or balance that collective has settled into for outreach, discipleship, community service? Just kind of, you know, what, what attention and time do you give to those things as a church um, you know, your rhythms. Yeah. Um, oh, what, Brian Jones is a lead pastor at Christ Church of the Valley up in Philly. And he talks about buckets um, and he, he calls it bucket theology. Ultimately he says like with ministry of all these buckets, right? Sunday morning, youth groups, um, service. And the way he teaches it is your goal is to fill up that first bucket first and let that overflow into the next. So for us, we knew from the very beginning, our first bucket was Sunday morning. So worship, teaching, collective kids, that's th that type of stuff. So for us, like we invested more in that. And, you know, for those of you who've never heard that before, one of the best things that, to, to do is sit back and go, what is my staff? 
if you're if all of your staff are Sunday morning, your first bucket is Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if you think that it's missional. It doesn't matter. If you're all of your resources are towards Sunday morning, that's your first bucket. Now, if all your resources are to Sunday morning and you want to be missional, you probably need to fire some people or change them or move their jobs, something. But for us, like we had hired a worship leader. So we knew our first bucket. So the rhythm was heavy on the worship side leading into launch. So from April on, we did monthly worship and church services essentially. So from Easter actually, so March, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, it was worship Easter, worship night in April, worship night in May, worship night in June, preview service in June. So that we did a worship night and a preview service, two previews in July, a preview in August, and actually two, one in September, and then like a, a practice opening day. So part of it is you've got to figure out like what your first bucket is, because that's the thing that you need to do more of. So with us, our number one bucket being Sunday mornings, that was there. Our number two bucket now as a church is actually community engagement over groups. Groups is our third bucket. So we just kind of do things based on that. Um, right now at Collective, you know, every single week when you come to Collective, uh, we will say, hey, if you're a first-time guest, fill out a connection card and we'll donate to a local organization at the end of the quarter on your behalf. And we do that every quarter, we get a new partner. So every single Sunday, we're talking about the ways that we're serving in this city because that's the number two bucket. What we don't talk about every single week is groups because it's not, it's for us, it's three. We do talk about groups. We do talk about community, but like our, our resources lean toward the other two. So in the beginning, it was like a good mix of like small group was going and then once a month service, then once a month, you know, vision worship night. But as we started to ramp up, we started to narrow in that focus because by the time you got to launch, we didn't want people to go, oh man, I didn't know church was every Sunday or I didn't know you're going to do it this way. We wanted, by the time people got there, they were very clear that like, Joining the team and Sunday mornings are our number one. Community engagement is number two. Groups are number three. Youth, you know, is number 12 because we had no teenagers. So um, so every, for everybody that's listening, you, you've got to figure out what your buckets are and create a rhythm based off of, off of that. Yeah, Michael, um, I'm going back to another question we had earlier. Um, what have you done? You talked about developing leaders in small groups, especially since kind of that's what you did to get started. Um, what are some other ways that you have, you know, develop leaders, gotten them to let, gotten them together, equip them um, to, yeah, to develop the leaders that you need to be able to accomplish the vision of collective. Yeah. In the beginning, to be honest with you, plan sure, it's just chaos. Um, you get like three good leaders and you can get through the first few months uh, without a ton of leadership development. It's not a long-term thing, but in the beginning it's hard because you got to figure out who can you trust and who's dependable. Um, but as soon as we kind of realized one, that we didn't have a good leadership system and two, that really is one of my sweet spots as a teacher's leadership. That's when we started to pour heavily into leadership development. And so what we do and what we did in the beginning, it's changed a little bit now, is once a month on Monday nights. So we don't do small groups on Mondays ever in, in order to keep that night open. And we would do a once a month leader night, leadership night. And if you were a leader or a potential leader, so if someone else saw something, we'd invite you to that. And for the first two years of collective, my best teaching went into leadership development on Monday nights once a month. It was not on Sunday mornings. Now, the overflow of that, um, I, I, ta- I, I did this thing once, we talked about ruin the game. You know, Steph Curry, if you're a basketball fan, everybody talks about how he ruined basketball, but it's not that he ruined basketball, he just played it a different way and other people now have to catch up. And so I taught that to our leaders, like as a church, we need to ruin the game when it comes to how people see church. And we talked about the way we serve, you know, we talked about the way we design things, the way we do media. 
But that turned into a sermon series where we talked about like, that was Jesus's goal. Jesus's goal was to come and ruin the game when it came to religion. So a lot of the overflow of those leaders meetings led to some of our sermon series. But for once a month, I would sit down with our leaders and give them my best leadership and in order to develop them. We still do that. We just do it on a smaller scale now because my staff um, is now in charge of developing as many leaders as possible. So what I do is I invite 10 men into a once a month leadership discussion where they join for a year. We read one book. We read one book of the Bible um, and we get together to discuss it. And if you miss two, you're kicked out. Um, but these are guys that are potential leaders. And, I'm, and before we ever put them in a leadership role on a Sunday morning, I'm investing in them in a very intense way. And so we do that now. My wife actually leads a women's group of the same variety. Um, you know, and that's led to my own growth personally, as I read books one, two, three times, but also growth of leaders. And so um, leadership development. So we, we don't necessarily use the word discipleship, right? It's not anything outside of like non-Christians think that's a weird word. So we call it leadership development. So like our discipleship and our leadership development go hand in hand. And so it is my responsibility to develop staff and develop leaders who then develop other people who then develop other people. And so um, we do that heavily. It's just all really invite only. Again, we look and see, you know, if someone serves on Sunday and they're just going above and beyond to meet people's needs. And one of my staff says, Hey, I think they can be a leader. We look and see if they're giving. Um, this is not a passive aggressive thing. If they're not giving, we sit down with them and say, Hey, like you are unreal as a volunteer and we see how great you are. We think you can lead. Here's the bar we set for our leaders. Like, let's talk about you meeting that bar and and maybe getting into a leadership role if you're interested. Um, So we don't just like sit and be mad at them, Um, you know, or think they're missing out on potential. Like some people just, it just doesn't connect right away. So, um, so yeah, we invest heavily in leadership and again, it all goes back to a big swing and a miss on the first few months of collective. There's another super practical question from our audience. Uh, Did your launch team members attend other established churches uh, in the pre-launch season before you guys were doing regular weekly worship gatherings? Oh man, what a loaded question. Um, (laughs) Yes and no. Um, So in the beginning, most of the people we met weren't going to church. Um, They'd either moved here or just kind of transient nature of it. Um, But as our name started becoming more known and heard, that's when we started getting some people who um, were like popping in. Uh, we had two, we had, we had a pastor once come up and say, Hey, like we want to merge with your church. And I was like, yeah, come to some of our stuff and we'll have a conversation. And they never showed up. Um, we had another whole small group from another church. I was like, if we're leaving our church, we're coming to collective. And I was like, cool. Like not a fan of that one. You, you are not going to be a small group leader at our church just because you bring a small group with you. And two, like you really need to sit down with your pastor and explain to him like what's going on, which they never did. Right. So we never saw them again. Um, actually, essentially, we ended up seeing her eventually, but that's because, to be honest, like her life started to fall apart and she was like, I don't know where else to go to church. And I was like, well, that's us. Like, that's our sweet spot. Um, so in the beginning, when we did events, we did do them on Sunday nights. And the reason why was because if you were going to another church or, you know, if you're involved somewhere else, we didn't want you to have to feel like you had to choose between us and them. We wanted you to get a good view of what we were doing while also not hurting the church that you were at. But the moment you decided to say, hey, I, I think I want to be a part of this launch team. If you went to another church, then we said, you have to have a conversation with your pastor. Like we're not, like this is not, 
uh, you're jumping ship. That, that's not the way it works. And so in the beginning, we literally only had like two families that were like, yep, we told our church we're not going to be there. And guess what? Neither of those families made it to launch day. They just didn't. And so, you know, now there are people that come to collective from other churches. Now um, it has more to do with uh, the sweet spot. And what we say is like collective was started for people who are like, if you can't find your place in church, like maybe we're, maybe it's with us. Um, but in the very beginning, uh, the only people we would have from other churches were when supporting churches had us in and said, you know, this, this is somebody that lives in your city and they need to be a part of what you're doing. But if they came with any sort of like, I'm mad at my other church, like we had really hard conversations with those people and just said, Hey, like have the hard conversation with your pastor and then we can talk. Um, I think Barna put out a study two years ago that said, um, when people leave church for vision reasons, they're 80% more likely to leave their next church as well. And I'm sorry, church planters out there speaking to myself, our vision is not so much better that that number is going to change. So we knew if people were leaving their church because of vision issues, they were not going to stick at collective because there's a vision that they're looking for that they're going to try to manufacture or something like that. So, you know, if people come from other churches, just do it in a healthy way, Um, have good conversations with them, make sure clarity, do not hurt other churches for the sake of building your own team. Um, We had people that literally would serve at another church and came to collective for the first six months because their children were coming to collective and they're like, we want to go to church for the kids. We're going to leave this other church. I was like, Nope, you've committed to serving. You need to keep serving. And so they literally would serve at that one church and then attend church with their children. And they did that all the way through COVID and COVID hit. And it was like a, a easy time for them to break. Um, but we just, we just set boundaries, you know uh, we just, we have our own baggage as people. Um, we don't need to add a bunch of church baggage on top of that. Um, current church baggage. A lot of us bring church baggage from the past, but I'm saying like, we didn't need to stir more of that up. Yeah. If, if the question went the other way, uh, like, did you ever take a group of people from the launch team intentionally go visit some other church sure. to see what that experience was like or get some training or. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I am a big fan of this, but I hope everybody listening, like hears this the right way. It is a very good thing for you to go visit other churches when you're in that city. But the best thing you can do before you show up is reach out to that pastor and introduce yourself. Um, To be honest, we have people that come to Collective all the time to check us out. And I don't know a lot of them. And I do not love the idea that other pastors come to Collective just to check us out and then leave. Like, introduce yourself. Because when you don't, it feels competitive. Like, why else are you like, I'm not Bill Belichick going to film your practices, right? Because that's what it feels like. So if you are going to visit other churches, reach out, say, hey, I'm bringing a few people. I'd love to meet you and grab coffee after. I'd love to ask you questions, right? Because you're going to leave that church going, why did they do that? I do like this. I don't like this. 99% of pastors that you reach out to will give you all the time in the world to help you start a better church. Um, But when you just like show up and like take pictures and spy and stuff, that's weird. Don't do that. And chances are good. They've been in the community way longer than you. So they can offer you all kinds of insight, um, background, history. That happened to us. So like we met up with, there was a guy who planted a church two years before us, friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, somehow got connected, sat down, grabbed lunch with him. He's like, why are you coming to Frederick? Very, very defensive over Frederick, which was not off-putting. It made sense. He loved this city. He was born and raised here. Um, and then when we went to go find a space, he goes, Hey, here are the 30 spaces that said no to us two years ago. You might want to avoid these. And literally the first 30 phone calls 
that we needed to make to find a building, we didn't need to make because he made them for us. And then we got to move on to the next set of lists, which is when we found West Frederick Middle School, which is where we met. So, you know, like, but again, like do it the, do it the right way. Like ha- have the integrity. Um, you are not competing. Now, if you are showing up to a city and you're like, there's a church that looks just like us here and we're trying to take all their people, that's messed up. Don't do that. But like if, if God has called you there, every pastor in the area is welcoming that for us. 80% of our people don't go to church. If a new church plant shows up. Yeah. Sometimes we're like, Oh, we're no longer the cute little church. You know, we're not the baby in the family anymore. Our parents had another kid. That's what it feels like. But at the same time, like why wouldn't we bend over backward to help them? Because they're not reaching the same people we are. 80% of our County doesn't go to church. If a new church comes here, you know, yeah. Like we're not the new flashy young one anymore, but it's okay. You know, we need, we need more churches, but just make sure to have the integrity and build relationships. And you don't have to be best friends with these people. Like you don't have to do like a monthly thing, but, but reach out before you attend so that you can learn and not just make judgments. Okay. That's awesome. Um, Well, we are out of time, Michael. So thank you for joining us. Um, And if you're in this conversation and you're thinking, man, I want to play my role in mobilizing more people in my city to reach uh, our city for the gospel. One fantastic way to do that is to launch or to host an exponential roundtable event um, that's coming up. Um, so here's the slide that, that Brooks has put up. So different topics that you could choose from doing your roundtable, um, but it's a, a group of leaders in your area that you're going to invite um, to be able to get together, have conversations about how do we accelerate multiplication for the gospel in your city. So go to multiplication.org slash host if you're interested in learning more about hosting a roundtable in your city and Exponential would love to get in contact with you to, to talk through that. All right, well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we'll be back on in two more weeks to talk about some more nuts and bolts of church planting. All right, take care. Thank you.